It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Busker. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm a little low energy this week. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird after a crazy weekend like that, but I'm just, it's cold down here finally. Like we are in a very cold, rainy part of the season, I guess. And um, it's miserable. It's like, you just don't want to go outside. I know what's wrong with you. What? You can't tackle. It's what? Stanford can't tackle. Oh. Wide receivers (laughs) on the sideline. I literally did not watch the second half of that game. I only watched the first half and my dad, he was at it and he was like, Oh, do you guys, cause I, for people listening, I didn't end up getting to go to the Memphis Houston game or the James Madison game because travel was crazy for Columbus day. But so my dad was like, Oh, do you want to come to Stanford, Oregon state with me? And I was like, no, I don't. And so he went up for the first half and then he left and uh, after he left, like I didn't watch or pay attention anymore. Cause I was like, whatever. <laughs> and then he called me the next morning. He's like, Oh my God, did you see what happened? And I had no idea. But... Well, well, Stan, I watched the first uh, two and a half quarters, something like that. Of that mm-hmm. game. Oh, I'm on the East coast. I got tired. It wasn't a good game. Yeah. Yeah. It was not. <laughs> so I went to bed and uh, I woke up in the morning and checked the score. Yep. Like sort of like, most games in the morning, if I, especially ones I missed. Uh, yeah. What happened here? And then I, you know, watched the highlights and I just laughed. And I thought about it. Emily will be happy with a shot for that. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, I actually left the first half thinking, okay, this, this might be okay. Like I felt hopeful. I was talking to some Stanford fans of the bar I was at and I was, you know, like, okay, well they're winning. So maybe this will be okay. But in the back of my mind, I was like, there's, they're going to find a way to lose this game. So, and yep. they did. And that, and that's not to knock Oregon state who I think is a very good team and very well coached by Jonathan Smith. So. Yeah. And he probably wouldn't leave Oregon state for Stanford. Would he? No. no, I mean, I think actually probably anybody would given the amount of money they pay um, for what you have to, to do, but I don't, I mean, I don't know, man, this it's too much. It's too much. I don't, Yeah, it's, it's too much. I can't go on another David Shaw rant tonight. I don't have it in me. I, so yeah, I'm trying to get you on a David Shaw rant before we talk about no, I, here. I can't do it. I have done it too many days in a row this weekend. I can't, I don't have it in me. So why don't you go get, talk about your UCF nights and how yeah. they beat SMU the way I told you they would. Yeah. So uh, UCF SMU obviously moved because of the hurricane. It's technically a week five game that got paid played after we recorded the week five podcast <laughs> working on as a week six game. So anyways, SMU 19, UCF 41. 
Uh, yes. I, I thought the whole game was going to be like the first half of this game went. Mm-hmm. Or it was 13-10 uh, at the half. Whereas close. You thought it was going to be like was a battle. Close. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't think you were. I did not because I saw SMU's defense play last weekend in person. Again, I had <laughs> expectations that the hurricane would impact the UCF's on-field play more than it did. Yeah. I guess is the way to put it. You know what I mean? I don't think it was I don't think it was that as much as SMU is just worse on defense than people realize. I yeah, I think that's I think I think, think UCF like years it's their offense is so fun and exciting that often mm-hmm. overlooked that the defense Right, because it doesn't have to do as much, right? Cuz the offense is like, "Oh, here you go. Here's the points. Like just don't give up a bunch and like, you know, make things a little bit hard for teams." But no, they can't do that anymore. Or you kind of don't notice that Someone gives up 31 points when you score 45. Right. Exactly. That's exactly correct. So, yeah. And I, the other thing I think we saw in this game really mm-hmm. was a more experienced coach versus like an experienced head coach because SMU didn't make halftime adjustments in UCF. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I mean, UCF's offense by halfway through the second quarter was clicking away. It, in the first quarter, UCF's offense looked incompetent. There's no way around it. John Rice Plumley couldn't hit you know, broadside of a barn. And at some point they started hitting this little slant route on RPOs, um, mostly to Javon Baker. And just like, I think simplifying the throws is really what it came down to. It's just giving him easier throws, easier reads where it wasn't, hey, sit in the pocket and find someone. It was mm-hmm. make one read and shoot and like go there. And it worked great, you know. Yeah. Uh, Javon Baker was excellent on that route. Excellent yak yardage. Uh, had this really interesting ability where he could feel the kind of corner on him in the game and knew when to just like catch ball and plant and turn the other way, which right. you don't see much of. Uh, yeah, you know, UCF's defense, I've said it pretty much all year long, is probably in my the best defense in the conference. Sorry, Cincinnati, but UCF probably has a better defense than you. Which is funny, it was supposed to be Houston, but... <laughs> if, yeah, it was supposed to be... In my mind, it was Houston and UCF. I thought it was going to be Houston. Now I'm kind of on UCF Tulane, but more on that later. <laughs> which is crazy, which had you told us that before, we would have laughed, but uh, here we are. But here we are. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the safety for UCF had a really great game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost track keeping count on SMU's drop passes in this game. It was bad. somebody somewhere probably did probably recorded that. We'll have to go look. But at one point I kind of had like a that's three, that's four count. Yeah. And, and then it's just too much. Trey Sigurds, the running back, he dropped a touchdown. Uh it was bad for SMU. They left points on the board because of that. Uh they need to find someone on offense who isn't named Rasheed Rice because it's mm-hmm. so obvious that he's gained the ball. Yeah, I said that after the TCU game. That's that was like one of the alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, do you have anything else on that? I've got one little note about the end of the game, but no, go. I'm going to do the honors after you do your note. So go ahead. Lashley calling a timeout with one second left was ridiculous, (laughs) and it's ridiculous. First off, because you were down by 31. Yeah. And second off, I think it's I, one of those things where you have to like, it's like, I think you just accept you got your, he didn't want, he I think it's for his players. Out. It's not for him. It's like when the, it's when, Stone, you know, got hit and broke his collarbone on that play would be for his players. Like it's a meaningless play. They got their reps. They got red zone reps. What's one more. 
I mean, I, I guess I see it as like a baseball manager, you know, challenging a call that maybe we knew was right, but, but you have to stand up for your guys. So I'm, I'm not condoning what he did, but I'm trying, you know, that's. No, I, you know, I, 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 I know the thought process. You yeah. didn't want to get on the second half. You wanted to show you're still fighting to the last. Yeah. Time. You wanted yeah. to get another rep in for the backups. I just think it was stupid. I think, I think they he, I just think he did up. not want to he did not want to roll over completely for this guy that coached him. I mean, a lot of people probably knew the storyline going in that Gus Malzahn had coached Rhett Lashley in high school and you know worked with him there. And then he also coached with him at Auburn and and they had this really close relationship. But yeah. when I spoke with Lashley at the beginning of the season, you know, there is an element of respect that he wants to feel from from coach Malzahn and so I think you know he didn't want to roll over I think Gus would probably respect that to a degree I think so I think that Gus doesn't need to see that to respect him they've had such a long career together you know what I mean like Gus at Auburn Gus made him you know Gus took him from high school to college you know what I mean like he obviously sees and cares about him I know that like now that Rhett is a head coach Mm-hmm. It's a, a different dynamic than mentor teacher. It's more like, you know, I don't know. He put him in his place pretty heavily. So again, that's that's <laughs> experience versus not inexperience is one team adjusted at halftime and the other didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you mentioned other- John Rice Plumley, and he was given honor roll accolades this week for the AAC. Um, the senior quarterback went 20 of 29 for 316 yards and two touchdowns. Biggest difference besides the completion percentage, which was categorically yeah. better than Mordecai. Uh, no, no turnover, no interceptions. And I will say this to Tanner Mordecai's uh, credit. He only threw one. That one interception shouldn't even count. That was a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Right. So I think that was kind of interesting to see both quarterbacks be cautious with the ball in that regard, but there probably could have been a few more. (laughs) I mean, SMU wasn't attacking over the middle much in this game with a lot of screen passes was part of it for them. Um, UCF is unbeaten five and oh in the American athletic conference home games under Gus Malzahn. Fun fact. There you go. After next week. (laughs) <laughs> we shall get to that in the next segment. Yeah. Overall, good effort. I knew UCF was going to win. Yeah, I you know, think, I, it is what it is. Yeah. SMU is a good team. They mm-hmm. had three teams that were better than them in a row. Is ultimately mm-hmm. what. Yeah, and doing. we knew the schedule was going to be tough for them. Well, SMU there. schedule proving to be their undoing here. So. Yeah, well, you're never not going to play TCU in Maryland. Yeah. I don't know when they scheduled it, but who knows what Maryland looked like then? It might, you know, in yeah. Maryland's a very easy win over a Big Ten school this year, not as easy. I don't know. Maryland is. I think Mike Loxley is getting that program in the sure. right direction, but so I would not want to face them now. Yet. So was the coach? Mm-hmm. You, just get, you know, what I mean, like these games get scheduled yeah. get out. You know, what I mean, that's Maryland true. I don't know when they did that. Program. Yeah, and even though we want to get our five games on the schedule just for fan interest. Uh, All right. Let's move on. Uh, Yes. Houston 33, Memphis 32. (laughs) I want your... I'm mad. I was sitting in a bar watching this game, like settled in to to write my story, and and it looked pretty cut and dry. We were going to see a Memphis victory. Gosh darn, Dana Holgerson would not go down 
quietly. Devil at the crossroads. He's uh, little. He uh, he's like got nine lives. This man, guy hopped open a bottle of Red Bull and saved himself the twenty six point fourth quarter. It's, I I have to give all of the credit in the world, all of it to Clayton Tune because I don't know that Dana Holgerson had anything to do with how gutsy Tune yeah, played. You know what I mean? Tune's experience and ability to keep his poise was the key. Yeah. Uh, because I, when Houston got down by a couple scores, I was kind of like the game's yeah. over because they don't have the mental discipline to. Right. They have not been mentally in a good place for a while. Season. So he's like this whole season, they haven't shown the mental fortitude to deal with that no. kind of adversity. So I kind of assumed it was over. Um, you know what I mean? I think this game is different if Memphis has any ability to run the ball, but mm. they don't. Mm. You know what I mean? In the fourth quarter, it's hard to hold on a lead when you just can't do that. Right. Um, I mean, defensively, though, you have to be just be better. That's also true. Like, I'm like, no like two different teams showed up. And I want to reiterate, all credit to Houston for scoring 26 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And all blame to Memphis for giving up 26 yes. points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I do think that Memphis got jobbed by the refs a bit. Yeah, the, you were saying that, yeah. We are texting this. I think on the onside kick, Houston arguably had a player offsides. Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, we didn't look at replay. I just saw, you know, I saw it on TV and I said, hmm, that guy was over quick. Number 81 at the top of the screen who made first contact for, uh, for Houston with the uh, Memphis hands team. He looked like he was a step ahead of the kicker to me at the you know, line where the ball got kicked. They didn't look at it. Right. And then the final touchdown of the game, that was offensive pass interference. It just was. Yeah. They don't always call it. It's a pick play. Uh, they don't always call it, but sometimes they do. The refs said not throwing that flag in that situation. But if I was a Memphis fan, I would have been livid because they ran a little crossing slant thing. And the outside wide receiver was blocking his uh, corner into the other corner. And it did a one of touchdowns. That's OPI by the letter of the law. No, don't get me wrong. It happens on 75, 80% of college plays. If, yeah. if they choose to call it, if they've been calling it throughout the night, if they're willing to throw that flag in that situation. But I'd be upset if I was a Memphis fan with those calls. Um, I think they're just upset in general. But you should be more upset <laughs> with your defense and your inability to yeah. have an eight-minute drive or a six-minute drive or just something in the fourth quarter that kills the clock and makes it impractical to come back. You know? It's crazy because we saw so many good things by Memphis, especially, I mean, obviously in the first half, but I mean, you take, you look at that it's pass. The, it's not like they didn't score. I know. It, it, I just, I thought the play of the night was going to be with Seth Hennigan, you know, throws it out to Gabriel Rogers and Rogers just guns it 41 yards down the field for a touchdown. I thought like that was going to be the play of the night. There's no way that was going to be topped. That's crazy. And then Clayton Toon comes in and engineers this incredible, you know, comeback right at the end. And the kicker actually makes the extra point, which God help him had he missed another kick. If he just sliced that. Dana Holkerson would have literally lost his shit. Like if that had happened. Houston has to go into play another overtime game. Oh my God. I just, I was waiting for, I honestly thought that was what was going to happen, but um, shout out to 
Clayton too, an offensive AAC offensive player of the week. Um, he engineered obviously the 19 yeah. point deficit Deserved. come back in the fourth. Uh, he was 36 of 57 for 366 yards and three fourth quarter touchdown passes to bring back, bring Houston back from a 26, seven deficit. Um, but just in that fourth quarter, he was 15 of 19 for 147 yards. And of course the three touchdowns. So, um, That's Houston, yeah, Houston became the first FBS team in 2022 to win after facing a fourth quarter deficit of at least 19 points, which I thought was kind of cool, I guess. Yeah. For it was, a great, I, it yeah. was a great game for Houston. They needed it really badly. If it you did. lose that game, especially the way it, it looked like it was going to go through three quarters. Yeah. Man, you're asking real serious questions about Dana. Yeah, you, that, you're yeah. still asking those questions about Dana, frankly, but I, yes, <laughs> they were they were gonna be like in red lights, kind of like yes, like don't get on the plane, Dana. We're gonna take you to the Big Twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if everybody saw this on Twitter, but there was a tweet going around. According to ESPN, FBS teams have been O and one twenty nine this season when trailing by nineteen points in the fourth quarter before that win. So when we say that you know Houston was the first FBS team, that was what <laughs> the record was prior, zero and one twenty nine. So they are now the first one to to do that. Yeah. So it's not great for Memphis. Um, also, who there was another player like you said that that got honors. I don't know if you mentioned this guy from Houston, uh, Jace Rogers, senior defensive back and kick returner. He made a pivotal special teams play after his first career kickoff return. Um, Memphis had just taken the 29-13 lead. You guys probably remember this midway through the fourth quarter, and he took the kickoff. A hundred yards for a touchdown. And I'm not kidding you. I was sitting at the bar and I'm watching like a normal kickoff. I'm just watching a normal kickoff. And this kid takes it a hundred yards. And I dropped my champagne glass. And I was like, this is not a real thing that is happening. And in that moment, after that play, I knew this was going to be just so effed all the way to the finish line. So, but shout out for Rogers because he became the 14th player in AAC history to register a hundred yard kickoff return. He also had five tackles um, in the game. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to lie. I didn't hear anything other than you said you were drinking champagne at the bar. I was, I drink champagne, champagne when I go out. Yeah. So freaking Bay area. I personally just really like champagne and it's something I, I can drink. I like if I'm sitting at the bar and I'm watching this game, which was a long game, I'm not going to start drinking vodka sodas or, you know, whatever, because I'm not going to make it. I barely made it to rewrite the story with a couple glasses of champagne. So at least champagne is something I can like pace myself with. Um, I was drinking gin and tonics on Friday. Yeah, right? See, like I would do that if I was trying to have fun, but I had to be coherent and like put a game story together. So um, I guess that's how you yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. I think that was it for honors. Honor yeah, no, nope, no honor rolls. Just the, yeah. the offensive and, def- and special teams player of the week. So shout out yeah. Houston. Yeah, they deserved it. Uh, great comeback. Um, USF, Saturday games. Yeah, moving on Saturday. USF 24, Cincinnati 28. <laughs> uh, how did Cincinnati move up three spots in the AP poll? How did they move up in the AP poll? UCF has never seen Don't Florida and Florida State are both receiving votes. UCF has got zero votes in the AP poll. It's a silly, silly poll, but somehow- I don't understand. How does UCF keep doing, or sorry, USF keep doing this? How do they keep playing these really like for Is as bad as you and I, you and other people have talked about them being? 
how do they keep playing good teams so they're this playing, close? They're playing to the helmet at this point is what I think. Going back to like last season, like the, remember the Warren I-4 game last year was very close. Mm-hmm. And they get into the season and, you know, they... Okay, but this is Cincinnati, not UCF. They're different. It's 2022 Cincinnati, not 2021. <laughs> okay, but still... But my, point, my point is, when they say Florida, that's a big name. Now, Florida, I don't think, is all of there. And it was at Cincinnati. It was at Nipper. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm, by the way, that... Florida and UCF, the, their last two one-score games were both on the road also. For what Interesting. Um, it's just crazy. But like, those are the biggest helmets. Those were, I think they got up for the moment. They got up the atmosphere of the stadium, which was better than they normally play in, and they got up for it. Um, but they still didn't win. Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to come out next week and probably get smoked again. I just, I don't believe in any positive momentum because Emily, do you believe that there's a moral victory for USF right now? Do you believe there's a moral? I feel a little bit of, I feel a little bit of vindication that they played this game so close and that they, that people probably saw the score. And now to be fair, I didn't get to see by 30. Just I didn't get to see the game, but I feel a little vindicated that somebody, somebody somewhere opened up their ESPN app, saw the score and was like, what the hell? That was me. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I feel that moment of what the F like that's, that is the vindication that this USF team, it, they don't make any sense. I don't get it because they, they obviously have the ability to play good football and put together but they can't put together a complete game. They can't finish it out. And then sometimes they just look like absolute shit. You know what? So I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, it's coaching. It's coaching. I don't know. Is, because uh, I, I think Jeff Scott is, is a, oh, for seven. Is a good coach. He's not. He's not ready. <laughs> he, like, I, I think I he's a good guy and, and people no, seem to right. like think, him. And I think he's a decent recruiter. I think he's a good. So is he the Clay Helton? I, is he Clay Helton? No, because Clay Helton won games occasionally. Because he coached at USC. He's still winning games at Georgia Southern. He beat Nebraska this year. Jeff Scott hasn't beaten well, again, anyone with a pole. Georgia Southern and Jeff Scott USC has never and- in his entire time as a head coach been in a team that wasn't already dead. <laughs> He's got four uh, wins as a head coach. Well, Three of them were FCS opponents, and the other was freaking Temple last season. Can I just say that it feels good for USF to have snapped Cincinnati's consecutive or no they didn't i'm sorry they almost did that's what i mean they almost snapped cincinnati's consecutive game streak at nipper which would have been glorious uh but they but they won obviously so now they have the second longest home field winning streak nationally with 30 games and guess who has the first uh it's an aacc team i'll give you do you say acc or aac acc no way acc I still don't know what you just said, though. My brain's not ACC, working. ACC. Okay, Atlantic Coast Conference. Okay. Uh, longest yeah. winning streak in the ACC. Like, longest the active home field winning streak. Probably Clemson. Yep. 37 yeah. Clemson has. So uh, Cincinnati would have to win out. And then I don't even know how many games they have left. I don't know that they could get there. Well, no, they can't this year because they won't have that many home games. So they could try again next year. But I wish somebody would just dethrone their home game streak, just like get well, it over with. They play UCF at the bounce house this year, so 
Yeah, yeah so it won't there. be UCF, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, uh, no, Cincinnati doing what Cincinnati does. They had two honor roll uh, AAC mentions, if you will. Senior running back Charles McClelland had 21 carries for career high, 179 yards and two touchdowns in the win against South Florida. And senior linebacker Ty Van Fossen. What a name. Ty Van Fossen. Career high, 16 tackles. Van Fossen. Yeah, because I'm Van Buskirk. We we like our vans. Yeah, uh, career high 16 tackles, the most by an AAC player this season, and one tackle for a loss. 16 tackles. What that's are a, you doing? That's a monster game. Uh, it is a big game. The problem in this game still for Cincinnati was turnovers, though. Ben Bryant threw two interceptions. Like, I, he's just not the guy to get them to where – I mean, obviously, the playoff is off the table – but I don't see how he's the guy who leads you to a year six bowl either. Mm. I just, I think he's got a cap to what he can do and it puts a whole cap on the entire offense. And then with turnover, the defense is good still, but it's not as good as it was. You know what I mean? Like last year, they, since they could hypothetically have come out and laid an egg on offense and scored 10 points in the game, they probably still would have won because of that defense. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how good the defense was last year. It's not a knock to say the defense regressed this year because they're still very good. But they're just yeah. not stacked with NFL talent the way, or at least not NFL ready talent. You know, these guys could be in a couple of years, but you know, it just takes time to develop. Uh, Charles McClelland, awesome day for Cincinnati, probably saved them. Jimmy Horn went missing again for USF. Uh, Xavier Weaver had a great game though. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you though. It's just you had to lead in the fourth quarter if you're USF. Jeff Scott's 0 and 7 in one score games, 1 and 23 against FBS. If you're Cincinnati, how does that happen? How? How does that happen? The mixture of youth and I think a quarterback who's only so-so, you know. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati is not the team they were last year. It's the, the simple fact of it. They're not a bad team. They're still a very good team. They're still probably a 10-win team. You know what I mean? But they're not that same level of dominant. They're, sus- they're susceptible in a way they weren't before. That's all. That's nothing crazy. I don't think at yeah. least. Uh Surprise team of the conference this year is probably Tulane, right? This Tulane 24, ECU 9. Uh, the green wave defense is one of the best in the country, not just in the American. Oh no, like statistically, one of the best in the country. I understand it. what you're saying. I don't hate it. It's just like, where was this? When you I are. don't understand. I don't understand it. It's like they're doing it to spite me at this point. Yeah, Tulane's receiving votes in the AP poll. I don't know why UCF isn't. Uh, <laughs> no, Tulane is seventh in the country in scoring defense at 13.3 points a game. Like, that's insane. I mean, to be fair, okay. Like the start the year. Yeah. yeah, the people they're playing are not big scoring teams anyways. Kansas so. State is. Mm. Kansas State scored pretty easily on Oklahoma. Kansas State. Yeah, so did Texas. So I yeah. don't really. Kansas State scored. I think like everybody's scoring pretty easily. That's right. Oklahoma's yeah, no, not a Oklahoma's, beacon of defense. Okay, not a great example. Okay, yeah, that was the bad example. But Kansas yeah. State's a very good team, is my point. I'm not saying they're not a good team. I just don't think that they're like a high potent, like big numbers offense, like to that degree. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I don't think it's that impressive to. Kansas State put up mm-hmm. 40 on Missouri, who's looked dominant defensively, at least in SEC play. You know, I don't think Missouri, I don't think Missouri dominant know, is a word I would use to describe Missouri. Defense, I mean, but. The defense, the defense is the defense mm-hmm. shut down Auburn, shut down Georgia, 
as much as Auburn's not good either. Georgia, I would say, okay. Okay, but you can only talk about the teams they've played. But like I'm saying, I'm saying Georgia's Georgia's impressive. Auburn is not. I really don't want to defend Missouri that much. It was just the example of Kansas City because of who Tulane's played. Like, you know, I'm not trying to say UMass has a great defense that they shut down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get that, but I just don't think Kansas State is as good as everybody thinks they are. That's all. Well, they put up 34 points on South Dakota. Okay. Congratulations. You call your starters and like after the first half, and it's just a bad yeah. after that. You put 40 on Missouri, which I according to you is a big deal because Missouri has a good defense. They've looked good in SEC play defensively, yes. But Missouri yeah. let La Tech put 24 points on them. So and La Tech is terrible. Okay, but I don't it's I'm relative. Not just, I'm not trying to say Missouri's Georgia. I'm just saying that they're you know what I mean. Mm. And don't look at the Iowa State score. It really hurts. <laughs> Anyways, true. I just think that maybe, okay, so if we put Kansas State aside, I don't know that Tulane defensively, like, yes, they UC may lead the country. You see, was a good offensive team and they scored nine. You see, was not been not good off, not consistent. That's what I'm saying. Yes, that's, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. They, they definitely were throwing the ball. They can. They can be good offensively, but they sometimes, like the NC State game is a good example. If they they do. We want to talk about elite defenses. NC State's got a great defense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So you think if NC State and Tulane play each other, that's like a 3-3 game, 7-7 game. Especially if Devin Leary's hurt. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be wild. We should start thinking of matchups we would like to see. Like, I'd like to see Tulane play. Right there. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Say Tulane Orange Bowl. Uh, Anyway, speaking of your defense, uh, McCon Clark, senior safety, Tulane was defensive player of the week in the AAC. He had a game high nine tackles, including two tackles for a loss, along with that key fourth quarter interception to keep them, Tulane, them unbeaten in conference play in the win. So also both of his tackles for a loss came on third down plays, which I guess is we measure tackles in that regard now i don't i mean like, that's good but i didn't know that we did it by down oh, uh well you write down if it's like notable you know? i guess yeah I well his interception set up a greenway field goal that effectively put the game away yeah hey holton ailers threw an interception in the end zone that probably would have been helpful if he didn't do that yeah it's not great i was not happy with well Holton nailers this weekend <laughs> well, okay I mean, it seems like ECU made a conscious decision a couple weeks ago to start throwing the football a lot more. I know they're trying to come from behind with just part of it in this game where you're Mm -hmm. playing catch up in the second half, but they're throwing the ball a lot more than they did just three weeks ago. You know? Well, and, and mm -hmm. I think wide receivers, but it's an interesting choice. Well, Holton was, and and this is something that Coach Houston and I talked about before the season started, how close he is to all these career passing records and, and different various you know, accolades that he's going to get. And I'm not saying it has anything to do with that, but it's interesting because he did set the Pirates career passing record in this game. Um, he finished with 12,000. Huh? What? That's Shane Carden erasure. Yeah. 12,039 career yards surpassing Shane Carden, who had 11,991 yards. So, I mean, for a team, I don't know, like Holden's still my I've got a thing to say about you know who Shane Carden's offensive coordinator was? No. 
Lincoln Riley. No way. Yep. Okay. You've been able to have Lincoln Riley, ECU head coach, had they not fired Ruffin McNeil, who was his boy. Let's talk about Tulane's offense, shall we? The Yeah, 41 rushing yards. Want to talk about that? No. Well, first, I'm going to give Michael Pratt some props because he was on a roll offensive uh, player of the week for the AAC. The junior quarterback went 27 of 34, which, again, not a great completion percentage. I don't love that he doesn't complete a lot of the passes that he throws. He only completed you know, whatever percentage that was, I have to do the math for career high, 326 yards and two touchdowns. So everybody thinks Michael Pratt is now the best quarterback in the AAC, possibly the world. Who's saying that? I mean, people are saying it. So. Who, who are people? <laughs> Just go on what the internet, people, man. What people are you talking about in the same week that Clayton Toon did his come from behind victory against Seth Hennigan, who's also a good Yeah, but Toon looks so bad in that first. It's like if he could put, if Clayton Toon could put a whole game together, God, he would be unstoppable, but he cannot. I mean, and whose fault is that at this point? Because I'm starting to think it's Dana Holgerson's fault. I don't think it's Clayton Toon's fault. I think Clayton Toon has a lot of ability and a lot of talent, and I don't mm-hmm. know that's being. Active. It's not being developed the right way, uh, in my opinion. Development. I think it's just being utilized properly. But that's we're not talking about Houston. I don't want to talk about Houston. I'm annoyed with Houston in every sense of the word right now. Shout out Tyreek James, the tight end at Tulane, for his three yard uh, touchdown. Love to see uh, a tight we're shouting end out touchdown. Tulane touchdowns for shooting. We're shouting out Deuce Watts' grown man touchdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deuce. That was a grown man touchdown yeah. pass. Forty four yards. Michael Pratt. From Michael Pratt, mm-hmm. grown man throw, grown man catch. Uh, I just wish yeah. he would be more a fit. Like I wish my 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 wish for Michael Pratt is that he is more careful with his choices and just makes better ones sometimes because yeah. we do get glimpses of this great quarterback. But he like I <sighs> I think it part of the, why you don't see it the way you want to see it is mm-hmm. because he's had three offense coordinators in three college seasons. Every year. Well, that's been a story I've been trying to write for weeks now, and Tulane will not let me write it. So we may never know the answer to that question, unfortunately. I would love to, to, I'd love to tell you guys, but. But yeah, but I mean, just to be, not to step on the toes of that story, which I'm sure is going to be awesome whenever, if possible. If it ever happens. If if possible. (laughs) Uh, But like logic tells you that having to learn three systems in three years and three different sets of terminology and mm. making sure you've got the chemistry with your guys in those new systems is more difficult than learning one system and then improving on what you already know. That's just yeah. logic what tells you that. And I think we see that sometimes in the decision-making when it kind of looks like, Hey, you're a junior, you should know what you're looking at, but like it's his first year with that thing. You know, that's all I'm getting at when I try my speaking his defense like that. I do want him to be better because I think he can be better. But, right. You know, but Tulane's really good this year. They really he are. Was in sacked, the defense. Michael Pratt was sacked five times in the second half. Yeah, offensive line could have used a little uh, work in yes. this game. But ECU, you have to give credit to ECU. I mean, they're three and three now. Mm-hmm. They probably should be at least four and two, if not five and one, because they shouldn't have lost to Navy. And they really, they should have beaten NC State, but they couldn't make a kick up in the fourth quarter. Uh, special teams mm-hmm. cost them a couple games. I think they should have won. They got legitimately beat by Tulane in this game. They, they I also think it would have been different if Keaton Mitchell had been healthy. That's also fair. 
He's also, he has not been the same since you know he hurt his hip or whatever he did, and and he yeah, is not it was not as explosive and didn't get loose. So yeah, and that's probably part of why they're throwing more too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He has not been healthy, and it, I think if a healthy Keaton Mitchell with a, you know, combined with Holt Naylor's throwing the way he does, if they had balanced that attack, I think that's a different game. Yeah, I agree. I've got one more, one final question, I guess, for you uh, about this game. You see him a extra point and a field goal in this game. At some point, if you're Mike Houston, do you stop trying field goals? No. <laughs> because I was... No, that's not a good question for me because I'm going to say no, but is there another kicker? You know, like who, who's next up on the depth chart? I kind of compare it to the UCF situation from last year where you had Daniel Obarski who caught the yips mm-hmm. at some point, whether it was towards the end of Josh Heifel's tenure or at the very start of Gus's tenure, he caught the yips where he, he can kick it 60 yards. He can't yeah. kick it, but if he kicks it 60 yards, it's going sideways. You know what I mean? He just doesn't know where it's yeah. going, whether it's from five yards or 60, doesn't know where it's going. Uh, and Gus clearly did not trust him in 2021. You know, I mean, like, it, I think it was like week five before they kicked a field goal last year. Well, he was a freshman. He was a I get it. He was a sophomore. But he's a, I think he's a sophomore he this a sophomore. year. No, he's a junior. This, no, he might even be a senior this year. He's been around the block for a minute. No, they call him a sophomore kicker on the website. So I'm going to go. Maybe go. that relates to school eligibility, yeah. but yeah, no, he's, in their in their game story, they call him the sophomore kicker. I, you can't see it, but uh, he's got four years of stats on sports reference. He's been around since 2019, but he took a red shirt in 2019 and 2020 didn't count for anybody. So he's got plenty of eligibility left. So yeah, he's, he's a sophomore kicker on the field. In terms of eligibility, but he's a four year person. He's been around for four years, but he's a sophomore. But he didn't, but he didn't kick his freshman year. His red shirt did. So he didn't play. Well, he played in two games, but you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, But that doesn't count. So he didn't play his first year. Yeah. In 2020, 2020, he only got f- four games, probably. No, in 2020, he played in 10 games. Oh, Obarski. 10 games? In 2019, he played in two games. But 2020, two, there's COVID didn't towards his eligibility. He was a 70% wow. field goal kicker in 2020, though, Obarski. In 2021, he was a 57% field goal kicker. In 2022, wow. he kicked two field goals and missed them both and then got benched for Colton Boomer, a freshman, a true freshman kicker. Oh, but- he didn't play last year. No, he played last year. Boomer you just did. said he got benched. He got benched this year. Obarski. Oh, oh Lobarski. I don't I'm know who about, you're talking about. I'm talking about Daniel Lobarski, the UCF kicker. Because I was trying to make a comparison. I think we got jumbled up in there to the situation. I thought you were talking, oh, oh, talking about Owen Daffer. No, no, no. I am talking about him. I was comparing him to Obarski. Because Obarski okay. got the gifts at some point to the point where Guts mm-hmm. couldn't trust him at all because he was like a 50% field goal kicker last year. So they mm-hmm. kicked very few field goals because there was no trust there. And this Got year, you. he went back to Obarski, uh, and Obarski missed his first two field goals of the year, and he got benched for the younger guy who has been performing mm. much better. Okay. I think that he's got the – at ECU, he's got the yips. But he made it's, his first field goal of the game. And then he missed another and an extra point. He missed an extra that's, point, and then he missed another. But I'm just saying, I don't know if that's the yips if you make one and then miss – if you miss yeah, the first one, yes, you should be making eighty percent of your kicks. I I agree with you, but I don't know if it's the yips. I don't know what it is. Well, but it's I, a head, I mean, it's a head case thing at this point because he can't be missing as many kicks as he has been missing this. And year. his last, the one that he missed, was forty six yards. To be fair, 
Yeah, but and that's also, that's that's pretty far for for college. Sixty-two and a half percent on the year, and he's missed mm-hmm. kicks. any clutch kick he's taken this year. He's missed. That's my problem. Is when there's Just pressure on the kick, he's missing. You know what I mean? And he's well, PATs guy. don't have pressure, correct? I mean, that's just like well, a PAT. Because he did, yeah. did he did he take more than one in the game? No. So he only had the one. They only had one touchdown. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, Interesting. He's five for field goals this year. And extra points this year. He's twenty for twenty-five. He's missed five extra points this season. Wow, that's crazy. I wonder. It's not good enough. And you know, what I mean, I don't know what ECU has else. Well, who's up behind him? You don't know. Well, that's the thing is, I don't know. I'm. Well, look at the roster. I thought you have it pulled up right there in front of you. I'm looking at sports reference right now. Oh, you're not on the website. Okay. Yeah. I'm ne- never mind. Everybody uh, go look up the ECU backup kicker and see what we're working with here. A lot of teams only have one kicker is the thing. You know what I mean? Just for the roster spot. So he's the guy you said he's our guy going forward. You might not have anyone else. Well, there's definitely probably somebody on the team that can kick. And I don't know what that means, but... And that's, and, but that's the problem though, is I think that going forward, you've got a kicker who's, I don't think you can trust what I'm my long story. Oh, here we go. No, they have multiple kickers on their yeah. roster. They've got Owen. They've got a guy named Carson Smith, redshirt freshman. Uh, they've got a freshman named Andrew Conrad and another redshirt freshman, Leith Marjan. Okay. Well, four kickers is too many. Well, if you got that many, maybe he should be thinking about one of them. So maybe we will see another guy step yeah, but, up. Who knows? And that's not, I, I don't mean to try to take away the kid's job either. When I say this, I just like. No, but if he's not doing his job, that's what, that's what it is. Yeah, so I know. And I'm just, he's just, <laughs> he has legitimately cost you two games. You mm-hmm. could, you should be five and one right now. If you're ACU. Yeah. And you're three and three. And I, I still think not you're ideal. They're going to find three more wins in there. I believe that, you know, wholeheartedly. But mm-hmm. it just stinks because that NC State win could have been one of the bigger ones in program history, frankly. You know what I mean? It would yeah. have announced that ECU's back. It was, again, just a very well-regarded NC State team, you know, like. But you miss kicks, and it's just, it's frustrating for me uh, because I think ECU's better than their record. That's And they just need to be more consistent, especially on offense and on special teams. And moving on, because I'm, said my piece unless you have any okay no i'm good i want to talk about this next game because it's amazing Tulsa 21 navy 53 i said navy 53 points in the year of our lord 22 2022 navy 53 emily you talked to uh you talked to kenny amatololo this week mm-hmm. i did do i think what i had a role this victory is, yeah. yes magic yes i do to? Did you suggest he handed to the fullback 20 times? For- no, no, you know what it was? And if you read the story, if you haven't read it, it's up on underdogdynasty.com. And it's kind of about how Navy has adopted this close game mentality, which is so funny because I swear every time I say or write anything, people are going to do the opposite and they just blew Tulsa out, which is great. But I'll tell you what I think the key is. I made Coach Niamatololo laugh. In the interview, at the end of the interview, I asked him a question and it had to do with like the uh, in the Rams game the other night, last Monday night, when there was a protester on the field, you know, I, right. I brought that up and I was like, yeah, two of the guys tackled him. You know, it was was so impressed. It was 
crazy. And I said, did you see that? And he said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, coach, do you think what would happen at Navy if a, a protest ran on the field? Are your guys going to be the guys that are disciplined and stay focused? Are they going to jump on this guy? Like what do you, what would happen? And I knew it was a 50, 50 shot in the dark that he'll either like think it's funny or he's like, doesn't have time for that nonsense, whatever. But I had, you know, I was just curious. So I had to ask and he, he just started laughing and was like, this is a great question. And then he said, you should read the article, but basically he said, that his guys would jump on the protester. And not only that, he he went on to say, he like kept this conversation going for a few minutes. and was like, I think our support staff and our assistant coaches and our ops guys who are all Marines and, you know, Navy guys, all, all military guys, they would, ta- they would tackle him. He was like, I'm pretty sure everybody on the sideline would be jumping on this guy. So it was, and we were just had a good laugh about it. And then we ended the interview. So I, you know, am I going to, did I invent this win? No, but I, I feel like I was there. So it was the perfect Navy offensive performance in every way. One completion mm-hmm. from Ty Labate, but he did catch a touchdown pass. <laughs> uh, but, he did catch a touchdown. but the fullback had the game of the century for 159 yards and three tutties. Uh, mm-hmm. All of those touchdowns were in the first half. Uh, 40 minutes time of possession, and that was including a bunch of explosive plays. Uh, mm-hmm. It was exactly how you draw it up for Navy. It, you know, the offense was out there so long that the defense had time to regroup and it limited possessions. That was the other big thing about what actually happened in this game. Navy limited possessions with how their offense worked perfectly, the exact way that you want to if you're Navy. And then right. that Tulsa kept having turnovers. Tulsa had a little bit of a turnover bug in this game, which only <laughs> it only exacerbates the problem if you're working on limited possessions and Navy isn't wasting any of theirs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then you need to be perfect. And Tulsa wasn't perfect the way they needed to against Navy's effective offense. You can't you can't stop Keelan Stokes from having hundred plus yard games though. Seven okay. catches for 152 yards despite you know being blown out. So I oh, love yeah. Keelan Stokes. Can I tell you something that I should have thought to look up before the game, but I didn't? What? It's Philip Montgomery's record against Navy while he's the Tulsa head coach. Yeah, I, I talked about this in my article because Ken, Coach Dimatololo, was very quick to point out, you know, that they have this advantage in the Tulsa rivalry, I guess, okay. if you will. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to touch on it then or do you want no, to? No, you, you could say it. It was just funny because I yeah. tried to ask him like, oh, you know, you guys keep winning at each other's places. And he goes, whoa, whoa, they've only won one time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sorry, Coach. In recent years, though. Uh, so here's what I'll say. It's one in seven since Philip Montgomery got to Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2020, they did win at Navy. At uh, Navy, right. And that was the only year that they contained Navy's offense real, yes. like at all. But it also, if we remember 2020, Navy didn't practice that offseason. No. Like at all, which was an explainer for why Navy was so bad that year. But no, it, I mean, including the 2020 game, which Navy scored six points in, Philip Montgomery's Tulsa teams are scoring 34.7 or sorry, allowing 34.75 points against Navy when they play and not including 2020, which I don't think you should include in this case because of how weird it was for Navy. It's 38.86 points per game allowed against Navy. Yeah. At some point, Philip Montgomery does need to figure out how to defend the triple. Yeah. (laughs) He's got no clue. He does not. They've scored more than 44 uh, different times now, including this 50-burger. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it was crazy. Navy had 455 rushing yards, um, good for fourth on the NCA single game list for this season. Yeah. And obviously we talked about the, the fullback Daba Fafana, senior fullback, fullback for Navy. Great name. Uh, rushed for, like you said, the career high of 159 yards and three touchdowns on 21 carries. So that earned him honorable honors from the AAC. It also got him American something of the week award. And it's funny because he was on my Doak Walker weekly ballot that we do every Sunday, Monday, and they give us four or five performances from running backs and then we get to rank them. And then that's how they choose the honor. But he was on Doak Walker ballot as obviously as a running back, but he, and clearly it was amazing because I got to vote for a fullback. I saw you you tweet out that you voted for a fullback for the Doak Walker. And I was going to ask if this is who that was, or if you had a different fullback. It was, it was Dava. like the Illinois fullback and they're, Brutal, brutal game. <laughs> well, I think actually they, I can't remember now who else was on the ballot, but it was, um, I should remember, I should remember these things. I just remember it was the Navy. It was the Navy fullback. And then I can't remember the other performances, but um, I'm sure it was just awesome. It was awesome to be able to vote for a fullback for the Doug Walker award weekly award. Yeah. So now Tulsa, um, I don't, yeah. and their wins against an FCS school and a mediocre Northern Illinois team. Mm-hmm. Not a good place to be in right now. No, but people give Philip Montgomery a pass. I don't really know. Like, I'm if I'm him, am we I like I'm con- not happy? Yeah, but am I worried? No. We've had the conversation about how hard it is to win at Tulsa, and I wonder. It's really how much, hard. I also sometimes wonder how much the administration cares. You know what I mean? Well, so that's funny that you say that. Not, not Philip Montgomery, obviously. But right, right, right. I spoke, I, I still need to work on this story. I spoke with the former athletic director, who's now the Conference USA commissioner. Um, and she talked a lot about how hard, how actually it is hard to recruit there. And like, in, and so I kind of want to do a story about that to kind of explain to people what's going on. But I don't. I don't want to broach it with Coach Montgomery currently, so maybe that's an obvious thing. Yeah, it's awkward when he's currently two yeah. and four. You know? Yeah, it's not great. So, and well, what a great week! So, how did we do in our pickums? Uh, so you beat me this week. I only Woo! went two. I went two and three because we rolled the SMU UCF game over, and we didn't yeah. reconsider. I didn't get to double back and go for UCF again. Even. Anyways, you should uh, have never picked SMU. <laughs> again, I picked that mostly because I saw them as first off, SMU blew the doors off UCF last season. Remember that? Okay. Second off, the hurricane. And I thought they were about equal teams, which so did Vegas. It was, you know, a three point spread. It wasn't like it was, you know what I mean? No one expected that. I just, I did. Okay. I did because you didn't I told it to go like that. You didn't. I did. I, I did think, think that scores. You didn't think it would be like thirty-one points. I thought they were going to blow them out because I told you that SMU's defense was trash. I saw it in person the week before. I don't think they could stop anybody. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Which one else did you pick against? I I'll go through this real quick because I marked it off. I have to. I'm curious. Notes super quick. I don't think either of us picked. Did we pick Houston? We're, did you? No, we were both on Memphis. Yeah. Uh, we were both on Cincinnati. I was yeah. on Tulane. You were in East Carolina, but I was yeah. on Tulsa where you had Navy. Yeah, my first time. I, Navy. Yeah, no, that's my other thing. This was the first time I went back to picking Tulsa after I was mad at them for a little while. <laughs> now, that, they're, they're on a buy this upcoming week, but that chance I picked them ever again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
so this is the Navy game was where the difference was, was you and three and two. I'm 36 and 15 well, overall. You're 28 and 23, though. So, okay. Well, I'm moving up. Yeah, we got four games this week. We can see if you'll catch yes. me on this week. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, it's our week seven preview time, unless you have anything that you want to transition us with. Uh, no, I, you know, it's funny. I was texting my transition would be this. I was texting our good Lord and Savior, Eric Henry today about my story that's going up tomorrow. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing the army game this weekend, God willing. And I was looking at the temple UCF game as a Thursday night game. And I was like, well, I'm heading out East. Maybe I try and catch that on a Thursday, but I'm just too scared at this point to try and risk flights. And also it's not the most exciting game, but but uh, yeah, but that's where we're going to start this temple at UCF on Thursday night. It's the space game for UCF and there's a shuttle launch happening oh. almost immediately after the game's going to end. Oh, I kind of want to go point. now. And yeah, and, and the launch pad's lined up with the 50 yard line. So you'll be able to see the rocket. What? It's pretty cool. It's pretty that's cool. so cool. Now I kind of want to go. It's worth checking out if you have the opportunity to do so. I mean, you can see these rocket launches on a clear night, which it has to be to do, actually do the launch. You know? Yeah. We get a rainy Thursday night game. The launch is going to get postponed. So like worth remembering. Interesting. Um, I'll check it out. Maybe I'll try and head out there and just go as a fan. Yeah, I like to go to games just as a fan instead of working them just because it's. You should come on Thursday and then we'll go. I'm not doing anything Thursday. We'll see. Oh my God. If you show up, I'll show up. Okay. Um, We'll see. Yeah. My so out of town, I've got no one else to hang out with. Out there, there we go. Um, this game, UCF is favored by 23. I don't really think yeah. there's much to say. You've got a four and one UCF team that's putting it together against a two and three temple. That's trying, but not very. Helen's not there on Temple. I, yeah. They will. I'm confident they're going to get there. I think Drayton's going to get him there. They are leaps and bounds better than they were last season, certainly. Yes especially on the defensive side of the ball. The defense is good. I'll be interested to see if they can contain UCF for like a half. You know what I mean? I don't think they can realistically do for, contain them for four quarters. There is just a talent gap there. You know what I mean? Just in terms of the roster builds. Like, I mean, UCF's wide receivers are all four and five star wide receivers at one, you know, like as recruits. You know, most of them are transfers in, but like that's what yeah. they are. You know what I mean? Temple doesn't have that in the secondary to counter. And just in terms yeah. of raw talent, uh, I don't think Temple's offense is going to have a fun day. I think it's going to be a very mm-hmm. long day for the Temple offense. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. it should be a good time. Uh, at least for, for you, UCF fans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that they hit that? It's okay. 23 points, though, is a lot to yeah, put they together. Did they cover it? Okay. They would have had, they beat uh, SMU by 22. And SMU's. I know, but simple. what if Temple comes in and just beats UCF? <laughs> I mean, yeah, college football's weird. It's the American, man. I feel like Thursday night games in the American can be weird, right? I mean, college football, broadly speaking, is weird. Yes. And weird things can happen any given week. You never So know. is there a chance that Temple could upset UCF? It's never zero, but okay. realistically, no. No. You're putting it at like 98%, not. Yeah, whatever that possible. ESPN win probability meter is at like 99.5 or whatever. You know what I mean? I wonder what it is actually. Now I'm curious because like part of me wants to just blow myself up and pick Tem- Temple. 
Okay, but this <laughs> but is how you like fall behind. Ninety six point nine percent. Yeah. See, like it's never zero, but it's also <sighs> often practically zero. <laughs> you know. I will say this: if EJ Warner, if EJ Warner didn't have more interceptions than touchdowns, I would feel better. <laughs> I like EJ Warner long term. He's yes. very much a freshman. He's just yeah. He's just too young. Okay, fine. I'm pick UCF, but everybody needs to know that in my heart, I wanted to pick Temple. So, if you showed up in Orlando on Thursday wearing Temple gear, I might not go. Oh my god, I don't own any Temple gear. <laughs> I'm gonna show up just in black. Because I expect there, yeah, I expect there to be some stuff that goes down. Uh, right. Moving on to Friday, I think an interesting game now. Navy yes. at SMU. Uh, if Navy has figured stuff out, especially in offense, which it kind of looks like they have since the bye week, because mm-hmm. they two and one since their bye week, and SMU is still struggling defensively, you're going from Gus Malzahn's spread to Kenny Amatololo's triple and back-to-back weeks. That's oh, not easy prep. That's no. you know polar opposite offenses to prepare for. It's going to be glorious. It's not, yeah, it's not an easy assignment for that SMU defense. I think you need your offense to get out there and score pretty much every drive at least, at least in the first half and get a lead because you you can't be the one playing from behind that Navy in this game. SMU is still somehow favored. In this game, it did move. They're now 12 and a half. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, there's a talent thing. People don't trust Navy. I think rightly so, because they're really hard to figure out right now as an overall body of work. Because they lost 14-7 to Delaware, but then they put up 53. Mm -hmm. It's hard to judge what that is. But hear me out on this. So it's a home game for SMU. Uh, having been there two weeks ago and seen what exactly goes on in the home environment, which is not a lot. And then after this debilitating loss to UCF, I do not think that fans show out. I think there's a lot of frustration with the program. Right. So, which I think bodes better Friday night than a Saturday morning, but neither is going to be good. So I don't think they're going to have that, that home environment. Uh, And Navy doesn't really care about that anyways. So, and this is my biggest thing. SMU, okay, ranks 106th in run defense. Hmm. Not good. That's not good with a team that just put up 455 rushing yards against Tulsa. Yeah, that doesn't bode well. No, I'm picking Navy. I'm picking Navy, and I feel good about it. I'm on SMU. I think they're... I think the SMU offense scores. They just burned you, and you're going to pick SMU? Oof. Go Pogles. You're like a girlfriend, the girl that got cheated on and just takes her man back. Don't be that girl, Dan. Possibly, but I... Actually, I shouldn't say just girl, because men do that, too. So it's either way. That person, yeah, whatever. Uh, That person, yes. SMU is a very good team. I think they're in ways, but I think they're a very good raw talent level team. Um, if you lose this game, it's going to come down to Navy stopping their, their pass, you know, to stopping the, 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 it, they just, listen, if they just get on rice, that's it. You know what I mean? But what Navy defense is physically, I mean, just put all, put a bunch of them on there. Who ca- who cares? <laughs> Triple team, the guy, like whatever. Yeah. They, that, that's- yeah. What I want to see from SMU in all fairness is someone else to step up in the passing game. A, you yes. know, a Bo Corrales type player. Can one of those guys like 
if they're going to, I'm assuming they're going to double team rice all night with probably a corner on him, man. And then over the top safety help would be my expectation for what they do to him. Mm -hmm. That's what everyone should be doing to him is, you know what I mean? Someone on him all the time. Don't leave him alone. And someone to like bracket that and, you know, make sure that they got eyes on him more specifically than anything else. Uh, Yeah. So who can step up and be that secondary target? And is Tanner Mordecai even looking for a secondary target? Yeah. You know, those are no, he's not. He, he's a gunslinger. He doesn't necessarily think before he throws. He just no. says, I trust my arm and watch me throw it. <laughs> watch me. <laughs> yeah, a lot All of right. Guys, so you're, okay. So you're going to ask All right. Okay. The offense is potent enough that they get done what they need to get done and make Navy play from behind and play uncomfortably. I think the way to put it. All right. Uh, moving on to our, we only have two Saturday games this week. So you make it nice and easy to watch Tennessee, Alabama, huh? <laughs> yeah, thank God. Right. Tulane at USF is the first one that we're going to look at. Uh, USF, last time they showed life in a game, it was exciting. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. USF is there. Maybe USF is going to, this is what they needed to build on. And you picked them to beat Louisville, Emily. What happened in that Louisville game? Yeah, it it didn't go well. They lost like 42 to three. Yeah. They can't they can't score. And then they also can't stop other people from scoring. Yeah. Those are so, like the whole that's like the whole thing. Yeah, yes, I know. That's why that's why I said it. Uh I don't foresee them uh putting up many points on Tulane but I will say this at least it's not at Tulane Tulane does seem to thrive and put up better numbers at home obviously and maybe we get a little of the South Florida I don't know what the weather's going to be like but in Florida you, it's been you know maybe they'll get okay well to be honest it's so no hu- no humidity no heat been, since the hurricane at least it's more or less been cut to nothing where I am okay well like 85 degrees no humidity so then I'll just say maybe the, the travel. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I'm picking Tulane, obviously, because I'm not yeah. a crazy person. Well, you but <laughs> but um, but, you know, it might not be as bad. They're favored by it was 12. Let's see if that's still holding. Yeah. Tulane's only favored by 12, which is not a lot. Well, and you have to wonder Tulane. if that's because of the Cincinnati game. I think that what probably has part partially to do with the Cincinnati game, partially yeah. to do with Tulane's offense doesn't seem all that explosive in its own, right? For how good their defense is, the offense has been very containable. Yeah. You know, you know, 24 points against CCU isn't exactly a uh, boatload. You <laughs> no, know, 17 against Kansas State isn't exactly a shootout, you know? Uh, yeah. I just, I don't see how USF scores all that much in this game because they're, just so clearly inferior in terms of how they're coached. Like that's more, more to the point than anything else. Willie Fritz is a great head coach and Jeff Scott's a bad one in game. I want to emphasize in game. It's nothing personal. It's nothing personal. Yeah. That's good stuff off the field in game. Jeff Scott doesn't know what he's doing and that's going to cost them. And it's going to continue. I will say this. USF plays, or at least they did in the last game, cleaner in that they had no turnovers and only two penalties. Sometimes Tulane can shoot itself in the foot with penalties. So yeah, yeah, no, Tulane maybe there's the perfect team. I should, yeah, I, love, I really like it when the Green Wave are good. So I'm going to prop mm-hmm. them up, but like by no means are they a perfect team. 
you know. I think that could be no maybe team this conference, though. This everyone's fine. yeah. That could be somewhere that USF gets in. That's all I'm saying. So uh, all right, that's fair. We're both on two. But that being said, I'm still picking Tulane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, we got one more game this week. Uh, it's Memphis at yep. ECU. This arguably the most interesting game of the week. I don't know what you think though. It's a couple. I'm excited for Navy SMU, so that's fair. But this is a game between two highly inconsistent teams, you know. Yeah. And I think it's. Mm-hmm. Inter- I mean, we're at ECU, which always to me is a huge bump for both of these teams. Home field advantage is huge. Uh, but you know, you've got an ECU defense that's pretty good, but an offense that, when it's on, is really fun to watch but it's not all yeah fun. sometimes it's yeah like a neutral for two and a half quarters or something like that uh <laughs> and it'll be randomly go back into neutral and yada yada you got a memphis defense that i don't think much of to be honest yeah i haven't thought much of them for a decade <laughs> yeah that's fair They're, it's kind of like smu you know what i mean or you know the way ucf was before gus got there the defense just isn't they're gonna love big plays they're gonna let you get yours on them yeah uh, but I really like Seth Hennigan. He's the better quarterback in this game. Uh, Interesting. I don't, don't know that he has better weapons, but he's the better quarterback. Interesting. Uh, you know, Memphis can't run the ball the way they need to this year. Which is great because ECU gives up a lot of rushing yards and and, and four touchdowns uh, on the ground. So that's helpful. Whatever the opposite of immovable force and unstoppable object. Is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, it's um I think a pretty equally matched game between two. It's whoever comes out there and plays the clean game is really what it mm-hmm. is. If Holton Ellis goes out there and gets strip sacked and throws an interception on the 40 yard line again, ECU's gonna lose. If he goes out there and he doesn't make those mistakes, even if he's not spectacular, but as long as he doesn't make a catastrophic mistake, then ECU should win. Is kind of the way I look at it. And yeah, also, I think that's a good way of describing it. Also, what are Memphis's emotions like? That's something I didn't touch on because that's yeah, an emotional yeah. loss. Yeah. Like, are you? They're not great. You I got one text from a Memphis coach, and it was it was not good. <laughs> that's all it said. So. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So it's been. I mean, I left him alone. You know, I was like, I'm not gonna oh. reach out or anything. But that was yeah. the one. Kind of like when someone sends you like a paragraph in a text and you send the, I'm not reading all that, but I'm so sorry for you or happy, whatever. (laughs) I've never heard of that. That's funny though. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of flip-flopping back and forth. Who are you on? I'm going to go ECU because it's home. Dowdy Ficklin. I like Rowdy Dowdy. That's kind of where I'm leaning to. And I think Holton Naylor's is a better quarterback than Seth Hennigan. So I don't, I don't agree with that, but I, I do know think that daddy Ficklin's an incredibly tough place to go into and win. Uh, not impossible, but incredibly tough to do so. Yeah. I think that, I think that as long as Ellis plays a clean game, ECU should win. All right. So we're both going ECU. Yeah, we are. That means the only game we're separate on is Navy SMU. Yeah, which I'm going to win. Sure. Sure. If you, if you, <laughs> uh, if you say well, so. That was a, that was an easy one. I like when we have these short little weeks there. I, you know what? I wanted to say one thing 
because we didn't touch on this and I don't want to be accused of uh, Cincinnati hating anymore ever. Send it my way. Well, I want to say this, um, some, I always like to read the AAC notes. I sometimes find them very interesting, but then sometimes there's things like Memphis has forced at least one turnover in 11 consecutive games with 25 takeaways in that stretch. Like nobody cares. Like don't include that. But Cincinnati, obviously we talked about their 30th consecutive game win at Nipper, which is that streak, blah, blah, blah. They've also won 18 consecutive games against AAC opponents, including 16 straight regular season games. The Bearcats would tie UCF's conference winning streak records with a victory at SMU on October 22nd. Interesting. So that's kind of, that's that's an interesting, yeah, you're going to have to do everything you can to stop that. But, um, and then Cincinnati had, we got, we obviously have to give a shout out to Luke Fickle for doing the things he's doing at Cincinnati. He's improved to 53 and 16 with the Bearcats tying Rick Minter as the winningest coach in program history. Rick Minter. That's a long long line of really good coaches there. You know, Brian Kelly, Mark D'Antonio, Butch Jones. So it's impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, and no one wants to take away what he's doing there. It was just, I think, and this is what I've always said about Cincinnati. Last year was this vacuum for them where they just had this perfect storm of a team and a situation and a schedule and other things that happened to make it what it was. But that is nearly impossible to replicate. It just is. Yeah. And so for people to be like, oh, we, we need to prop up this team as the group of five, their chance, this is, they deserve to be in the college football playoff. No. I'm not saying they don't deserve it. I'm saying do not prop this up because it's not going to stand on its own two legs. It cannot. Exactly. With the way that college football is. And UCF is always my go-to like comparison for this kind of thing, which I know people probably get a little sick of, but it's easy one for me. After the 2018 run where UCF was 25 and one over the two seasons and their one loss is the Fiesta Bowl, right? The next year, people don't really think about the 2019 team all that much, but they went 11 and two or yeah, 11 and two. And mm-hmm. what bowl did they play in Emily? The Gasparilla Bowl against Marshall. <laughs> oh like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like Memphis won the conference that year. It was Memphis yeah. in the conference championship game. Memphis went to the cotton bowl and UCF, a you know, double digit win team ends up playing in the Gasparilla bowl for, mm. you know, it's a bowl game, but it's not like it's, Oh boy! I hear the, I hear the players fun. like to play in that bowl it's, game. I mean, it's a fun bowl game, and UCF is going to get it a lot while they're in the American. If they're not going to do a more major bowl because it's local, you know, the travel's not bad on it. That's part of it. But uh, yeah, it's just so since I don't be surprised if you end up in the Fenway Bowl this year. You know what I mean? <laughs> bowl game that you think I want to go to the Fenway Bowl. I was supposed to cover it last year, but then I know we talked about that. We'll have to, maybe we'll go out and do that. We'll figure it out. Uh, But yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Also, everybody go read this article that is dropping tomorrow. Finally, that I wrote about fullbacks. It's called college. The fullback isn't dead and college football didn't kill it. It took me two years to write this behemoth and I'm very, very proud of it. Six coaches, five players and two years of blood, sweat and tears went into it. And it is the single greatest piece of writing on the position in my opinion. So. (laughs) 
we'll all have to check that out tomorrow when it, well we're saying tomorrow we're tomorrow from when we record it'll probably be already yeah it's coming it's coming out tuesday the, yeah, yes, by the time it'll already be out my guess is this episode drops wednesday so it should already be out you should have already read it you should already know you should have but if you haven't run to underdogdynasty.com read the full box piece and tell me how much you loved it and let's i'm assuming you're gonna post it onto your twitter account so follow you there too yes follow me on twitter and instagram at mlnem e-m-i-l-n-e-m let's make the hashtag make fullbacks great again trend again on twitter yeah dan will dan's gonna repost it for me right dan i will i'm gonna retweet i'm gonna throw a little quote tweet like check out emily's article it's gonna be good yay well where can people follow you then at dan underscore morrison 96 on twitter and if you're looking for anything that I may have written, don't know why you would, but if you are, it's at on3.com. On3.com. Such an easy website. I love that. On3.com. It confused my mom for a while, but she didn't. <laughs> and that was Owen, then the number three, not three written out. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. She she just didn't know. It's all right. Technology's hard. She's in her 50s. That's what yeah, happens. That's fair. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We'll see see you next week. And until then, we're off.